You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello there. Welcome along to the 70th episode of Attaboy Clarence. My goodness. Which anniversary is that? Is that like silicon or something? Hang on. I'm just looking it up. Okay. It's platinum. So this is the platinum edition of Attaboy Clarence. So if you have any old platinum hanging around, just stare at it fondly or stroke it with your finger or something. Feel the platinum. I see from this list that the next big one is 75, which is diamond and or gold. You'd think they make that one a bit more official, really. And then 80th is oak. Well, that's a bit of a step down, isn't it? I think that's squarely a mid-30s anniversary substance. It actually gets worse from there, though. 85th anniversary is wine. Well, that's every year to me, I must be honest. 90th is granite. Granite! I get the feeling that the creator of this list was trying to exploit the failing eyesight of the elderly. It's happy anniversary, Grandma and Grandpa. Here is some granite... I mean, here is a precious rock to commemorate your union. Expensive. Yes, it is. It's very expensive. Now, you put that away in your vault. Yes, that's right. Let me just peer over your shoulder and read that sweet, sweet safe combination. I do hope you live forever, Grandma. Enjoy your granite, your precious rock. Anyway, back to proceedings. In today's show, I'll be directing your attention to three films starring one of Great Britain's greatest leading ladies, Miss Margaret Lockwood who most people know from Hitchcock's The Lady Vanishes. I'll also be announcing the winner of the Val Luton competition, and there'll be another edition of Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend, as well as a dive into the question pot to see what queries you've been a-flinging in my direction. Oh, by the way, here is the most confusing advert ever. In a recent decision, the Federal Trade Commission says of brand X cigarettes that the use of diethylene glycol as a hygroscopic agent in the manufacture of X brand of cigarettes does not render such cigarettes non-irritating or less irritating than other leading brands of cigarettes using hygroscopic agents other than diethylene glycol. Chesterfield gives you scientific facts and names its ingredients. Chesterfield uses tobaccos pre-tested by laboratory instruments for the most desirable smoking qualities. He makes it sound so desirable, doesn't he? And kept tasty and fresh by the only tried and tested hygroscopic agents proven by over 40 years of continuous use in USA tobacco products as entirely safe for use in the mouth. Pure natural sugars and chemically pure harmless glycerol. Nothing else. Yes, they sound completely harmless. Chesterfield has, for your smoking pleasure and protection, every advantage known to modern science. I want to just give a quick plug to a new podcast I found this week. Its name is Classic Hollywood MTC, and it takes a look at the stories of some old movie stars. I haven't listened to it very extensively yet, as I've been tremendously busy in the past week, but the subjects chosen look very interesting, and let's face it, the world will be a better place if there are more Classic Hollywood podcasts out there, so best of luck with that one. 
Right, time to get your thinking caps on for another edition of Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend? This episode aired on January 17th, 1954. So sharpen those senses, listen for the clues, and see if you can work out Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend? Good, will you come in, Mystery Challenger, and sign in, please? Panel, as you know, in the case of our mystery challenger, we get right down to the general questioning, which we will begin with um, Miss Dorothy Kilgallen. Well, I heard whistles. Um, do you uh, often get whistles when you appear? What did you all say, honey? <laughs> well, I was just trying to determine if you were a glamour girl. Yes, ma'am. I'll answer that. Uh, are you a performer of some type? Yes, I guess I am. Would you say that you were sometimes an actress? Sometimes. Um, do you also do something else? Well, uh, mostly acting. Uh, do you have any talent such as singing, dancing, or playing a musical instrument? No, ma'am. That's one down and nine to go. <laughs> Mr. Allen. Uh, have you all appeared in a, uh... <laughs> in a motion picture within the last, uh, year? That was released within the last year? Yes, sir. Are you all pictures, uh... <laughs> showing possibly on Broadway now in a first-run theater? I believe so. <laughs> well, that's show enough for me. <laughs> Have you ever worked in a musical picture? Yes. Is the picture that uh, we were referring to a moment ago, your latest picture, is it a musical? No, sir. Two to go, Miss Francis. Do I detect that you aren't really Southern? That's just put on? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> You're really a Northerner, are you? Um... I think she just went south. Uh, <laughs> Midland. Kind of Midland, I think, is a good answer to that. Midland? Yeah. Uh, would, you consider, would you consider yourself a leading woman? Well, I would. <laughs> uh, are you uh, married to anybody in show business? Yes. Uh, is he, too, an actor? No, sir. Ma'am. <laughs> I'd like to get down this place where you were born. You say it was neither north nor south. Is that is that what you said? Yes, sir. Would that mean that you were born outside of the United States? Yes, sir. Oh, you were. Yes. Could it? Were you born uh, over on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean? No. That makes it four down and six to go, Miss Kilgallen. <laughs> Uh, it's awfully dark in here. Could I have a clarification? Yes. She wasn't born across the Atlantic, but she wasn't born in the United States. That is right. She was born across the Pacific. Huh? Uh, well, were you born um, more than 2,000 miles away from the United States? Uh, yes. Were you born in any place uh, in or around the Orient? Yes. Uh, have you a sister in show business? Yeah. And we will leave it there, y'all. Any idea yet? Well, keep it to yourselves for now, and I'll reveal the answer for you later on in the show. 
So as I say, the star of today's show is the quite stupefyingly beautiful and talented Miss Margaret Lockwood, a shining light in British cinema during the 30s and 40s. You hear the phrase star quality bandied about quite a lot and generally flung at anyone who stands in front of a camera. Well, if you are familiar with Margaret Lockwood, you will know that in her case... The tag is absolutely true. She is magnetically beautiful. There were not many people in classic cinema who photographed as well as she did. But more than that, she was a very brave actress who really did follow her heart when it came to film roles. She played the romantic lead many times, but she also dipped her toe into some rather more interesting fare, most notably The Wicked Lady, in which she played a noblewoman who moonlights as a murderous highwayman. Great movie. Oddly, though, I won't be talking about that particular film today, even though it is one of her best. Instead, I'd like to point you towards three other minor league Lockwood gems in which she shone brightly. Miss Lockwood, I hereby dedicate this episode to you. So the first film on today's slate is a very dark thriller from 1946, which has, hands down, the worst movie poster I've ever seen. This is Bedelia, starring Miss Margaret Lockwood, Ian Hunter, and Barry K. Barnes. This was Bedelia, beautiful and charming. She radiated a curious innocence, eager to fascinate those she attracted, like a poisonous flower. I first met her in Monte Carlo, that is where the strange story of Bedelia begins. Monte Carlo, in the autumn of 1938. So firstly, yes, this has the worst movie poster ever. It's a portrait of Margaret Lockwood looking somewhat disturbed. And I, and I have to say that I don't think the artist liked her very much. She has a bottle coming out of her face, which seems very puffy and bloated, by the way, and he's kind of giving her boss eyes and a funny mouth. Only only her bottom teeth are showing, and they're not what I would call white. Let's just say, if this was a portrait of me, I would have sued the artist. Anyway, that major criticism aside, this is the slow-burning, mysterious tale of a newlywed couple, Bedelia and Charlie Carrington, who on their honeymoon meet and befriend an artist, Ben Cheney. Bedelia, no one sitting for a portrait has any right to look as enchanting as you do. Why not? Very disturbing. If you weren't happily married, I should say more than I'm going to. To the artist, you're a puzzling subject. How puzzling? You ought to have red hair. Nature got her colours mixed when she was making you up. So far, so conventional. But as the film plays out, we soon realise that Cheney may have ulterior motives for befriending the pair. Namely, that he may know something rather horrifying about Bedelia that Charlie doesn't know. I want to talk to you now. Well? What have you done to my wife? What do you mean? Why is she afraid of you? Afraid of me? Tell me, Charlie, what has happened? She tried to run away. You blame me for it? What has she told you? Don't hedge. You've done or said something that's terrified her, and you're damn well going to tell me what it is. All right, Charlie, I'll tell you. But believe me, I didn't want to. I will not go further with the synopsis than that, because one of the things I really liked about this movie was how unpatronizing it was. 
It is quite superbly plotted and it treats its audience with huge respect in that it doesn't set out its stall in the first five minutes the way that many melodramas of the 40s do so often. Instead, it starts like a conventional drama and allows you to see very dark cracks forming in the picture. In fact, dark is a very apt word here. There are very dark secrets to be released before the story is over. What they are, you'll have to find out for yourselves. Stylistically, it reminds me a lot of Rebecca. You begin in idyllic European surroundings and then the action transplants to English village life. In fact, the picture of England it presents is crazy beautiful. I love that amid all this pastoral beauty, such wicked creatures reside. Anyway, do go and check it out. It's a real treat. In fact, it is the current film club choice, so it's very easy to watch. Just go to attaboyclarence.com and click on Film Club. Well, unfortunately for the world, Margaret Lockwood hardly appeared on radio back in the day. She did star in an adaptation of Becky Sharp, which I actually played on the most recent patron episode. But as for good old Hollywood radio shows, she is markedly absent, I'm afraid. But Bedelia was based on a novel by the remarkable author Vera Caspary, who also wrote another bona fide mega hit back in 1941, which was not only turned into a mega hit movie, but which was also adapted into a mega hit radio drama by the Lux Radio Theatre. So we'll take a trip over to that particular thriller right now, as we join Dana Andrews, Gene Tierney, and Vincent Price for the first part of a trip into noir thriller territory. Yes, you guessed it. This is Laura. Now, most people who read a newspaper or listen to the radio know the name Paul Leidecker. Mr. Leidecker is a legendary oracle of barbed wire and forget-me-nots, whose enchanted pen and acid tongue have brought fame to hundreds and oblivion to just as many. His New York apartment is a combination art gallery and Roman bath. And now, immersed in one of his marble pools, Mr. Leidecker has a visitor. Detective Lieutenant Mark McPherson of the Homicide Bureau. Be careful, will you? That stuff is priceless. Oh. Mr. Leidecker? Quite an art collection in there. Those pieces you are pawing over are irreplaceable. Nice little place you have. It's lavish. I call it home. You'll hear about the murder of Laura Hunt. I made my statement yesterday to Sergeant Detective Crane. I know. Told him what I know. Now suppose you tell me what you know. <laughs> Why not? Uh, hand me that washcloth, Mr. McPherson. Yeah. Uh, how good a detective are you? I've picked up a few facts. Laura Hunt was killed the night before last. A bell rang, she opened the door, and someone pulled the trigger of a shotgun. It wasn't nice. The range was close. Have you found the shotgun? No. What else? The thought comes to me, Mr. Lidegger, who's questioning who? Uh, may I remind you that you're a guest in my home? <laughs> yeah, that's mm. right. What else, huh? Well, Miss Hunt was a very good-looking girl, probably. About 25, lived in a swell apartment, had a maid named Bessie. And where did she get the wherewithal to support such a menage? Bullet Company, advertising agency. She had a good job, art director or something. Uh, not or something. She has a lady cousin in town and a couple of boyfriends. One named Shelby Carpenter and the other is Paul Lidecker. Hmm. Today is Sunday. Why haven't you tried to see me? Because it's a peculiar case and I wanted to think. Hmm. If you'll wait, I'll go with you when you leave. Why? Murder's my favorite crime. My radio audience loves it. I know you'll visit all your suspects, and I'd like to study their reactions. You're on the list yourself, you know. <laughs> Be insulted if I weren't. 
Were you in love with Laura Hunt, Mr. Lidecker? Was she in love with you? Laura considered me the wisest, the wittiest, the most interesting man she'd ever met. I was in complete accord with her on that point. Oh. Now, uh, if you'll excuse me, I'll get dressed. Oh, uh, uh, where shall we be stopping first, Lieutenant? I'd like to see Laura Hunt's cousin. Uh, Mrs. Ann Treadwell, yes, yes, of course. A few questions, Mrs. Treadwell. I'll do anything I can to help. Oh, good morning, Paul. Good morning, Aunt. You were fond of your cousin, Mrs. Treadwell? I adored Laura. Paul can tell you. Yeah, I can tell you considerable. Did you approve of Miss Hunt's coming marriage to Mr. Carpenter? Why, why shouldn't I approve? I don't know. Uh, just what does Shelby Carpenter mean to you, Mrs. Treadwell? To me? Well, he comes here regularly. Is he a friend, acquaintance? Or are you in love with him? Oh, this is beginning to assume fabulous aspects. What are you driving at? The truth. Are you in love with him? Why, no. I, I'm very fond of Shelby, of course. Everybody is. I despise him. You've been withdrawing a lot of cash from your bank, Mrs. Federal. Fifteen hundred at a clip. Seventeen hundred. I at... needed that money. Mm-hmm. The day you took out fifteen hundred, Carpenter deposited thirteen hundred fifty. When you withdrew seventeen, he deposited fifteen. You shooting craps, Anne? Oh, must I be insulted like this? Shelby needed some money. I lent it to him. I suppose I could do with it as I please. Sure, sure. Now, on Friday night, you were home alone. Why didn't you go to the concert with Mr. Carpenter? Concert? Why, I didn't go because he didn't ask me. Well, hello. Oh, just talking about you, Carpenter. What a coincidence to find you here. This is Lieutenant McPherson. Yes, we've met. I didn't know you were here, Mr. Carpenter. I've been lying down. My hotel room is so hot, and then all the reporters and the telephone. You know how it is, Lieutenant. I've, I've hardly slept a wink since it happened. Is that a sign of guilt or innocence, McPherson? I'm as eager to find the murderer as you are, Lieutenant. Laura and I were going to be married this week, you know. No, he doesn't know, and neither do I, nor you, nor anyone else. Oh? Well, Laura had not definitely made up her mind to marry him. She told me so herself. She was going to the country to think it over. Laura was extremely kind, but she'd never have thrown her life away on a male beauty in distress. I suppose you've heard losers whine before, eh, Lieutenant? Yesterday you said you went to that concert Friday night, Mr. Carpenter. What did they play? Oh, some Brahms and Beethoven's Night. Mm-hmm. Oh, this place Miss Hunt had in the country. Have you got a key to it? No, but I think there's one in her apartment. Well, I'll have a look. And perhaps I could help you? Okay, come along. Goodbye, Mrs. Treadwell. You can start looking for that key now, Mr. Carpenter. Oh, yes, yes. I'll try the den. That's the dame's portrait on the wall, isn't it? Will you stop calling Laura a dame? Look at the furnishings. Would you call this the home of a dame? Look at the portrait. I am. Not bad. It was painted by Joseph Carter. He was in love with her then. Have you ever been in love, McPherson? A doll in Washington Heights once got a fox fur out of me. Have you ever known a woman who wasn't a doll or a dame? Yeah, one, but she kept walking me past furniture stores. Uh, where are you going? Phonograph is a record on here. Selections from Bitter's Sweet. One of Laura's favorites. Not exactly classical, but very nice. You know a lot about music? I don't know a lot about anything, but I know a little about practically everything. Then why did you say they played Brahms and Beethoven at that concert? They played nothing but Sibelius. Did they? Well, to be perfectly honest, I fell asleep and I didn't hear a note. Oh, I know it sounds phony, but I'm just a natural-born suspect. You see, I'm not the conventional type. Don't worry, I fall asleep at concerts myself. Find that key? No, maybe it's in here in her desk. 
Uh, yes. Yes, it is. I, I knew there must be one around somewhere. Mm, it's funny the police looked in that desk drawer yesterday and the drawer was empty. You had the key right along, didn't you, Carpenter? Yes. I didn't want to give it to you while Lidecker was present. I have private reasons that don't concern him. You have private reasons, no doubt, to lie about that key. Paul, I'm warning you to stop implying I had anything to do with Laura's death. Very well, I'll stop implying. I'll make a direct statement. You asked for this, Paul. Get you... it out, the two of you. Okay, we came here to find the key, and I've got the key. Now, let's get out. There's nothing more you want from me? No, not now. I'll, I'll run along, then. You, uh, having lunch, Lieutenant? I guess so. There's, uh, rather a superior restaurant nearby. Okay, let's go. Nice, quiet little place, Mr. Lidecker. Yeah. What's the matter? You, uh, wouldn't call me a sentimental person, would you, Lieutenant? Well, I... Dozens of times we sat here at this very table, Lord and I. How long did you know her? Nearly five years. I was just thinking, we're here, we're eating lunch, and it was at lunch that I first met Laura. The Algonquin Hotel. I was alone. I looked up and I found her standing in front of me. She had a layout in her hand. Lydecker, how do you do? I'm Laura Hunt. Well? I'd like to talk something over with you, if I may. I am eating my lunch. Yes, but it's practically impossible to get to see you and I... Either thought... you're from some incredibly remote community where good manners are unknown, or you suffer from a common delusion that being a female exempts you from all the rules of civilized conduct. Possibly. But I wanted to show this to you. It's an ad for the Wallace Flow Wright pen. You're such a famous writer and commentator. It would be tremendously helpful if you'd endorse what we say about the Flow Wright pen. I don't use a pen. I write with a goose quill dipped in poison. And you may tell your employers that... Oh, they don't know anything about this. It was all my idea. They'd give anything to get your endorsement. And if I were the person getting it, why... You disregard completely something far more important to me than your career. My food. You mean that, don't you? Well, of course I mean. I never heard of anything so selfish. In my case, self-absorption is completely justified. I have never discovered any subject quite so worthy of my attention. But in your column, on the radio, the things you say, they're filled with such understanding, such sentiment. Miss Hunt, you are beginning to bore me. You're a poor man, Mr. Lidecker. I feel very sorry for you. Goodbye. My second meeting with Laura Hunt occurred about two hours later. Kept after you, did she? No, I went to her because I couldn't stop thinking about her. I was more than slightly annoyed, but she had something, that girl, something far deeper than good looks. I went to Bulletin Company, proceeded to do something I have carefully avoided since the age of two. I apologized. Laura looked at me and she smiled. Your apology is accepted, Mr. Lyon. It was very nice of you to go to all this trouble. Goodbye. Uh, in a moment, uh, Miss Hunt. Uh, for reasons which are too embarrassing to mention, I'd like to endorse the Wallace Fluorite pen. Have you an ad? You're a very strange man. Now I'm sure you're sorry for the way you acted. Let's not get psychiatric. But in a word, yes. And you are a very kind person. No, I'm vicious. The real secret of all my charm. But uh, if you think me kind, I'll call for you here at six. What? We'll have dinner together. I can't make it any later. Will you be ready? Why, why yes, I'll be ready. Coffee, Mr. Lidecker? Thanks. I started then to help Laura. I did everything in the world for her. I am a man reputedly of overwhelming ego, but this I admit without reserve. It was Laura's own talent, her own incredible charm that enabled her to rise to the top of her profession. Through me, Laura met everyone, famous and the infamous. 
And deferring always to my taste and judgment, she captivated them all. She became as well known as my walking stick in White Carnation. And like them, she was always with me. When does Carpenter enter the picture? Well, men couldn't keep away from Laura, but she never regarded them seriously but me. Her own discrimination ruled them out, and I never had to intercede. She met uh, Carpenter one night at a party at Ann Treadwell's. She became attracted to him instantly. I was shocked. As a fellow completely without talent, with as much depth of character as a saucer of stale gin. Shortly before I took Laura home, I overheard her talking with Carpenter on the terrace. And so I spend my time doing what I've always done, nothing. <laughs> then tell me, what does it feel like living on the income from an estate? Oh, I once knew what it felt like, but the sheriff interfered with that over ten years ago. Then why don't you work for a living? Oh, I did ask a friend for a job once. All he did was laugh. He thought I was joking. Weren't you? No. When he saw I was sincere, he just got embarrassed. He said he'd phone me. That was months ago. Do you really want a job? Yes, I do. Then you've got one. What? Now you think I'm joking. Well, I'm not. You just be at Bulletin Company tomorrow morning. You're going to work, Mr. Carpenter. And so in time, they got engaged, huh? They became attached to each other very quickly. I concealed my annoyance with masterly self-control, but here was a situation, however ridiculous, that required my attention. As you will see, it was for Laura's own good. Well, I followed them one night to this very restaurant. They had been working late on some advertising campaigns. Tell me the truth, Laura. Will it really make people brush their teeth more often? <laughs> the idea is wonderful, Shelby. And so are the layout. By the way, who's the model you use? You don't remember? Well, you hired her yourself, Diana Redford. Oh, of course. Laura, you look wonderful. Well, that's a quick switch of subject. Oh, I like this one much better than toothpaste. Good. Could you have dinner with me tomorrow night just like this? Maybe. And what about the night after that? But Shelby, I can't just... What about three weeks from tonight and all the nights in between? Don't you think I have any other engagement? What about two months from now and the month after that? And what about next year? Then it's all settled. What about breakfast? What about lunch? Beautiful lunches, day after day And what after... about beautiful work, day after day? Why, Miss Hunt, the way you talk, you'd think I was in love with you. <laughs> Sparkling bit of dialogue, wasn't it, Lieutenant McPherson? If they'd known you were listening, they might have snapped that up a bit. Laura knew that I had overheard them because I told her so the following evening. By then, I had some other information to tell her also. I don't care what you found out about Shelby. It's the snooping about, Paul. It's degrading. Of course, but I thought you'd want to know. That sterling character almost went to jail last year for passing rubber checks. And after that, in Virginia, he was suspected of stealing his hostess's jewelry. Those are only insinuations. I know it's false. But a man can change, can't he? Oh, Laura, for heaven's sake, open your eyes. So Carpenter has changed. Yes, he's changed from you to do Diana Redfern. Running around with her now. A model from your own office. Paul, how can you be so despicable? You know what you mean to me. How can you try so deliberately to hurt me? Hurt you? Paul, Shelby and I are going to be married next week. Oh. You gave him a cigarette case on his birthday, didn't you? A valuable case? Where did you get it? From the pawn shop where Diana Redfern took it after he gave it to her. I don't believe it. He probably needed money and was too proud to borrow. Perhaps that's why this pawn ticket is in her name. I won't let this go any further. I'm going to telephone him. You won't find him at his hotel. Tonight, Carpenter's deserted both you and Miss Redfern. He's dining with a young and wealthy widow. Someone you know. Your cousin. He's been treating her rather badly these days. I'll phone Anne at once. Really, my dear, you don't think that Anne would give, give him away, do you? Oh, it's nasty, I know it, but I must make you realize. Now, suppose we visit Cousin Anne, hmm? He won't be there. I know he won't. 
Laura. Good evening, Mr. Lidecker. Hello, Margaret. Oh, I- I'm terribly sorry, but Mrs. Treadwell isn't at home. Satisfied, Paul? Well, suppose we just wait for her. Oh, please, Mr. Lidecker. Uh, come in, Laura. Why, Laura, dear. And Paul. We were just having dinner. Yes, I know. Laura, I didn't expect to see you tonight. There you are, Laura, in a moment of supreme disaster. He's trite. I was just telling Anne about our getting married. Well, sit down, you two. Oh, no. No, thanks. I just stopped by to give you this. The cigarette case. You must have misplaced it somewhere. Laura. Laura, wait a minute. I... Good night, Anne. Good night, Shelby. When was this episode of the cigarette case, Mr. Lidecker? Last Wednesday night? On Friday, Laura had lunch with a Redfern girl. I wish I'd been there. And as I said in my statement, Laura and I were to have had dinner that night. At 7 o'clock, my phone rang. I had a sudden sensation of depression, a foreboding of disaster. Hello? Paul, I'm frightfully sorry, but I just can't meet you. Well, there's nothing wrong, Laura. I mean, you're not ill. Oh, no, no. I just decided to go to the country for a few days. What, in this storm? Well, it's pouring. It won't last, Paul. It will do me a lot of good to be alone. Oh, you're thinking about Carpenter, huh? Of course. Mm. Please, I simply must have time to think this out for myself. Uh, when will you be back, dear? I don't know. I'll call before I leave. Maybe you could meet me. Well, of course I will. Thank you, Paul. Goodbye. Goodbye, my dear. That was the last time I ever heard her voice. This, this red fun girl, where does she live? In Newark. She's in the phone book. I will never forgive myself for allowing Laura to become involved with Carpenter. That was my fault. I should have stopped it long ago, somehow. And she's dead now. It's too late even to think about it. Well, so long. Yeah, too late even to think about it. Uh, oh, uh, uh, goodbye, Lieutenant. <laughs> Well, we'll leave it there for the time being, but we shall return to Laura later in the show. Well, before I introduce you to the next slice of lockwood Arama, how about a dip into the question pot? Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. And in we go. The first question I pull from the pot today is from last time's correspondent, Eleanor, who writes, Dear Adam, you were right. The movie I was thinking of was Night Nurse with Barbara Stanwyck. When you suggested it, I thought, no way would I mix up Carol Lombard and Barbara Stanwyck. But I watched the film and there she was, and I had completely forgotten about Joan Blondell. Maybe it was Clark Gable as a gangster that put Carol Lombard in my mind. Thank you, thank you, thank you for settling this ongoing argument with my husband. We were both wrong. Eleanor, you are so welcome. Anything to keep the peace in the old marital home? Eleanor also writes, Which leads me to my next question. Do you ever fantasize about recasting a movie that you love? Maybe just some of the roles or even just one. Or is that considered sacrilegious? I have always dreamed of it happened one night with Carol Lombard in Claudette Colbert's role. Don't get me wrong, I think CC is wonderful, but there isn't much chemistry between her and Gable. Yes, I play this game often. They mainly involve Hitchcock films for some reason. I think Basil Rathbone would have been great in Ray Milan's role in Dial M for Murder, for instance. I think James Cagney would have been great as Roger Thornhill. 
in North by Northwest. Or how about Audrey Hepburn as Melanie in The Birds? The list is endless, Eleanor. Next question is from Matilda, who writes, Dear Adam, I should probably point out that I'm not your daughter, Matilda, but rather another Matilda altogether. That said, would you consider talking about my all-time favourite movie, Ball of Fire, with Gary Cooper and Barbara Stanwyck in a future episode? Yes, not my daughter, Matilda. I will definitely do that. Matilda then goes on to say, P.S. When I listen to the podcast, I sometimes get the impression that you think of Attaboy Clarence as sort of a pesky neighbour kid compared to your other podcasts. Do you enjoy doing them more? I love Attaboy the most. Hey, of course I don't feel like that. I will tell you something right now. I could not do either of these podcasts if the other one did not exist. For instance, sometimes I need to go away and do some heavy-duty creating, and that's great because the secret history of Hollywood allows me to do that. But I couldn't do it all the time. It would kill me stone dead. That's why I love doing Attaboy Clarence so much. It is a wonderful palate cleanser, and I get to talk to marvellous people like yourself, Matilda. I need both of these shows to exist, otherwise neither of them would have lasted very long, I assure you. Besides which, if I quit The Secret History of Hollywood, who would present it? As for Warner Brothers Studio itself, the successes continue to this day, if you please. As of 2016, Warner Brothers is the only studio in Hollywood to have taken more than $1 billion at the American box office every year since 2000, if you please. And a final question today from Jordan Palumbo, who took the time to correctly deposit into the pot the following question. Hi there, love the show and recently listened to the episode about the Silly Symphonies by Disney. It's very interesting to see that type of early animations and I'm currently trying to watch all 75 of them. I am on episode 20 so I still have a bit to go. My question is, would you consider doing an episode on the Warner Brothers animations and the history of those characters? Would love to hear the history of the opposing studio. Thanks. It's funny you should say that, actually, Jordan. Quite a few people have asked me to do that, especially since listening to Bullets and Blood. I think it'd be very interesting indeed. I must look into it more. Never say never and all that. I actually think Warner Animation could quite easily have its very own standalone podcast. It'd be awesome. Anyone out there feel up to the challenge? Hmm? Anyway, if you have a question and if your aim is true, then maybe you should go to adboyclarence.com and scroll down the homepage until you find the question pot. Then take your time and throw said question into the pot with a clank. I thank you in advance. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinking cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. Well, on to another helping of Margaret Lockwood. Margaret Lockwood. She really was the queen of the high-concept drama, wasn't she? Elderly lady vanishes on train. Scheming noblewoman becomes highwayman. Just wait till I tell you about the last film today, my goodness. But in the meantime, you can add this one to the old scales as well, because in 1940, she starred in Carol Reed's The Girl in the News as a nurse who just can't seem to stop being tried for murder. Members of the jury, you cannot have it both ways. Either the prisoner is innocent, or she's a danger to society. A homicidal maniac, obsessed by the idea of gain. Now, you've seen her, you've heard her in the witness box. Did she for one moment give you that impression? So yes, Margaret Lockwood stars here as Anne Graham, 
a nurse to the elderly and rather cruel Miss Blaker, who one day ignores her nurse's advice and takes too many sleeping tablets. Off she shuffles to her grave, leaving poor old Anne Graham to be tried for her murder. Thankfully, she is able to convince the jury that she's innocent and she's released. Hoping to find another job as a nurse somewhere, she changes her rather notorious name and begins to answer advertisements. But little does she realize that the household she ends up in is about to be visited by another murderous tragedy and that Anne's nightmare is about to start all over again. I wonder whether you were wise. Wise? To take another job as a nurse. What do you mean? Well, suppose the same thing happened all over again. Where would you be then? Have you ever thought of that? Aren't you being rather morbid? Stranger things have happened. Look, I, I thought all this was forgotten. So a very interesting situation propped up by an absolutely incredible cast. You have Margaret Lockwood, of course, supported by Barry K. Barnes again, Emlyn Williams, Roger Livesey, Basil Radford, Irene Handel, Felix Aylmer, Mervyn Johns. This is a true treasure chest of British talent. As for the plot itself, things do become very tense as Anne goes on the run with the help of a kind lawyer. It's directed by Carol Reed, and there are definite shades of night train to Munich here. Plus, it oozes that well-budgeted British quality of the 1940s, along with a good helping of dark wit. It really is a little gem. It's let down slightly by an almost too-rushed ending, but that doesn't in any way detract from the fact that the ride itself is a whole heap of fun. Definitely search out The Girl in the News. Well, let's rejoin the Lux Radio Theatre then for the second part of their adaptation of Laura. Things are about to get even murkier. It's an hour later. In front of Laura Hunt's apartment, Lieutenant Detective Mark McPherson picks up Sergeant Crane. Together they make another thorough search of the girl's rooms. Two things interest McPherson. A pile of Laura's letters and a bottle of Scotch whiskey. If you're thirsty, Lieutenant, I think you can do better than that there. I'm not thirsty. When did you say that maid was due here? Any minute now. Say, where's McCavity? In the basement. I've had the telephone tapped. He's sitting on it. But who's going to use the phone besides us? Nobody I know of. Still a good idea. I'm making a call now myself. Go down in the basement and relieve Mac. I'll wait here for the maid. Carpenter's coming, too. Okay. Hello. Moscones? This is Lieutenant McPherson, Homicide Bureau. Laura Hunt's been buying liquor from you, hasn't she? Yeah. Did she ever buy a brand of scotch called Black Pony? You sure of that? Okay. Thanks. Oh, come on in, Miss Clary. Never mind that Miss Clary stuff. My name's Bessie. Have a chair. It seems to me you... Those letters. Those letters belong to her. Yeah. You've been reading her private letters. I said sit down. Cops. I was brought up to spit whenever I saw one. <laughs> okay, go ahead and spit if that'll make you feel any better. What do you want to find out? Who killed Laura Hunt? How would I know? You think I'd done it? Ask anyone. Anyone who ever came here. Why, I'd have worked for or scrubbed for or done anything she would have wanted of me. Pay or no pay. You're loyal, Bessie. It wasn't only on account of the wonderful things she'd done for me. It was because she was so wonderful herself. Miss Hunt was a real lady. Something cops wouldn't know about. How'd this bottle get into her cabinet? I put it there. It's cheap scotch, Bessie. Laura Hunt wouldn't buy cheap scotch. I found it on a kitchen shelf Saturday morning. You know what that means? means that somebody brought it here Friday night. And that somebody was here with her Friday night. Now, who was it? I don't know. 
But I didn't want anybody to get any wrong idea about her. God rest her soul. That's why I put the bottle in a liquor cabinet. I done more than that. There were two glasses. I washed them out and clean off the bottle, too. Destroying evidence, Bessie. I don't care. I'll do anything to keep her name from being dragged through the mud. Relax. Bessie, I'd like some ice in this setup. You mind? I'll get it. A couple of highball glasses. I'm expecting somebody. More cops? No, Shelby Carpenter. Let him in and then get the glasses. The door's open, Lieutenant. Oh, come in. I didn't expect you, Mrs. Treadwell. Oh, are you either, Mr. Lydecker? Shelby's dropping you the hairdresser later. I only sent for you, Carpenter. I know. So I thought I might as well come along. Yes, my excuse is equally feeble. I just dropped in to inquire as to the state of your health, Lieutenant. Insipid, I trust. About to have a drink. Oh, Bessie, two more glasses. Yes, sir. Hello, Bessie. What are you doing here? I'm paid up for the week, and I'm working regardless. Scotch, Slidecker? Excellent. Will this do? It's Black Pony. I'm a guest here. It'll have to do. Here's the ice and the glasses. You can skip mine, Lieutenant. I'm not much of a daytime drinker. Oh? Well, that'll be all, Bessie. You can go home now. But I... Yes, sir. I'll go. Thank you. I remember when Laura bought these glasses. She loved them. She loved all her things, so. What are you going to do? Sell them? I suppose so, if I'm appointed administrator. I'll probably call in Corey. Corey, the art dealer? Yes, he can dispose of everything. It'll be less... Less gruesome that way. Uh, not quite everything, Anne. There are two or three things that belong to me. That vase, for instance, the antique fire screen, and, of course, the clock. That's quite a hunk of clock. You've got one just like it, haven't you? I noticed it in your apartment. They were made 200 years ago by Corbet Feast. Two clocks exactly the same, created at the order of the Prince of Wales. I lent one to Laura. Oh, really, Paul? Yes, really. But the vase is the gem of my collection, and I intend to have it back. I can take it with me now. Nothing's leaving here, Lidecker. Only you. Oh, is that your quaint way of indicating dismissal? Well, we're all leaving. I've got to get back to headquarters. Oh, but I don't understand, Lieutenant. I, I thought you sent for me. I did. Well, don't you want to ask me any questions? Nothing pressing. Oh, I see. Well, I bid you goodbye. The vase, Mr. Lidecker. Put it down. The va- oh, oh, of course. Just a slight touch of kleptomania. <laughs> McPherson, I'm back, upstairs in our apartment. How are you doing in the basement? Any calls come in this afternoon? Not a thing. I've just been looking the place over. I've only done it 40 times. Anything interesting? Everything's interesting, especially that portrait. A really beautiful doll, Lieutenant. Yeah. I've read her letters, smelled the perfume, drank a scotch, gone through her wardrobe. Wait a minute. Yeah? Someone in the hall. Look, it's 7 o'clock. Alford will be along to relieve you. Make sure Alford keeps his ear on that phone. Right. Who is it? Yes. Coming, Lidecker. You just happened to be passing by. And I noticed the lights on. Uh, by the way, have you sublet this apartment, McPherson? You're here often enough to pay rent. Any objections? Yes. Especially to your prying into Laura's letters. That bundle in your pocket, for instance. No, these. They're yours. The best of the bunch. That's the trouble with getting murdered, Lidecker. It ruins your privacy. And have detectives who buy portraits of murdered victims a claim to privacy? Lancaster Corey tells me you already put in a bid for Laura's portrait. That's none of your business. McPherson, did it ever strike you that you're acting very strangely? It's a wonder that you don't come here with roses and a box of drugstore candy. Have you been dreaming of Laura as your wife? By your side at the policeman's ball or in the bleachers? Or listening to the heroic saga of how you acquired a silver shin bone in a gun battle with a gangster? Yeah, I see you have. 
Why don't you go home? I'm busy. Well, perhaps we can come to terms now, huh? You want her portrait? Perfectly understandable. I want my possessions, my vase, my clock, my fire screen. Now, if you Get going. Come... You'd better watch out, Lieutenant. You'll end up in the psychiatric ward. I don't think they've ever had a patient who fell in love with a beautiful girl who died before he met her. Or did you meet her? Well, good night, McPherson. you got a radio? It was broken. What? Here. Look at these headlines. And sit down, Miss Hunt. I'm very glad to see you. On Friday night, somebody was murdered in this room. What? What did you say? Until you opened that door just now, we thought it was you. Now, do you have any idea who it could have been? You don't know. A girl died from shotgun wounds, close range. No, apparently we don't know. The key to this apartment. Nobody except my maid and... When did you say it happened? Friday night. You'd better take off that coat. It's dripping wet. When did it start raining? Just a few minutes ago. It's teeming outside. It was raining Friday night, too, when that girl... Wait a minute. Raining. Now, come with me, Miss Hunt. Here. Into your room. I want you to please look in your closet. I simply don't... The closet, Miss Hunt. Here. Open it up. Do all these dresses belong to you? Certainly they belong to me. All of them? Everyone? Are you out of your mind? Of course they... What's this one? I don't know. You tell me. Why, this dress isn't mine. It's hers, Diana Redfern's. She had it on when she came for lunch on Friday. Well. But this dress wasn't in here when I left. It wasn't. This Redfern girl, is she a girl about your size? Yes, she's a model. She works for us. Yes, and she lives in Newark, but she hasn't been home. Her landlady said she'd gone to Philadelphia. That's right. We have a branch office in Philadelphia. She had an assignment there, but she didn't go. It was postponed. She got relatives in the city? An aunt and uncle, the same name. They live in the village. Thanks. Where are you going? Just to the telephone, Miss Hunt. I think Miss Redfern's aunt and uncle had better go to the morgue right away to make an identification. Identif... Oh. Right. So long, Inspector. Well? Well, that's that, Miss Hunt. They've located the Redfern. Yes, we ought to know soon. Now, Miss Hunt, when you went to the country Friday, did you see anyone you knew on the train? No. Then what? I got off at Norwalk. I keep a car in a private garage near the station. 
I drove to my house. It's about 18 miles. What did you do in the country? Worked in my garden. Didn't leave your place in all that time? I keep everything I need in the house. I went there expressly to be alone. Mm-hmm. You were going to marry Shelby Carpenter this week? Yes. But you went away for a long weekend to be alone. You know Shelby Carpenter has a key to this apartment. Why didn't you tell me? Because I know nothing of the sort. He hasn't. How else did the Redfern girl get into the apartment? You knew she was in love with Carpenter. I knew she was in love with him. She told me so herself. But I also know that she meant nothing to Shelby. I understand him better than you do. She was found, and I'm convinced now it was Miss Redfern. She was found in your dressing gown. What of it? You yourself told me it was raining Friday night. You yourself just saw her dress. It's full of wrinkles and rain spots. Well, how did she get in here? Why? Who brought her here? I haven't the slightest idea. Now look, Miss Hunt, do you love this carpenter fellow so much you'd risk your own safety to protect him? He must have brought her here. You suspect me. You think I killed somebody in jealousy. I'm trying to get at the truth. I'm sorry. Strictly routine. Well, I'll uh, see you in the morning, Miss Hunt. Meanwhile, don't leave this apartment and don't use the telephone. But I've got to use it. I've got to let my friends know I'm alive. I'm sorry, but I must insist. If anything should happen to you now, I, I wouldn't like it. All right, I promise. There's one more thing. I know that you went away to make up your mind whether you'd marry Shelby Carpenter or, or not. What did you decide? I, I decided not to marry him. Well, uh, I'll be seeing you in the morning, Miss Hunt. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Alford? That you, Mark? Yeah. Watch your step. It's pretty dark down here. Anything come through those earphones? Yeah. The mob just called. Is the Redfern girl all right? Well, it kind of balls things up, doesn't it? Yeah. Say, you seem pretty... Hey, wait a minute. She's dialing the number up there. Give me those earphones. Yeah. Hello? Shelby, this is Laura. I just... Laura. Don't say anything on the telephone. Meet me right away in front of the office. Can you leave? Right away. Was that... Yeah. Dames are always pulling a switch on you. You stay here, Alford. McCavity out front? Yeah. Get headquarters. Tell them to send another man down here right away. McCavity's going to tail the girl. What about you? I think I'll stick by Mr. Carpenter. I'll see you. Thank you. We will rejoin the final act of Laura a little later on. Oh, look, there is a hammer. And oh, look, there is a big red button thing. I wonder what will happen if I apply said hammer to said button thing. Golly, what a wallop. I thank you. He rang the bell again. He's feeling his Cheerios. I think I must be, yes. Yes, Cheerios, that energizing breakfast cereal made from oats. Cheerios is a cereal that really helps you build up strength and energy. So for your better breakfast, always start with Cheerios. C-H-E-E-R-I-O-S. I'm sorry, how are you spelling that? C-H-E-E-R-I-O-S. No, I still didn't get it. I-O-S. Double E-R-C-H. No, that's E-O-S-E-R-C-H. C-H-I-O-S-R-Double-E-Double-E-R-C-H-I-O-S. Well, we'll leave it at that, I think. Here you go, have a hammer. Well, now... Oh, we're all at it today. Well, I am very, very excited about the last film I have for you today. Some movies waft themselves in front of your nose and you just can't seem to get very excited by them. Such was the case with this film, despite the fact that it has such a sterling pedigree. It's directed by one of my favourite screenwriters, Charles Bennett, the man who, along with Alfred Hitchcock, really put British thrillers on the map. Funnily, he was never a fan of this film, which was his directorial debut. In fact, he described his experience on it by saying, I didn't even read the script until I was on my way back across the Atlantic to direct it, and then I wanted to throw up, but I had to make it. Margaret Lockwood was my star, a very good actress, and I had a 55-day shooting schedule. 
Everything was right about it, except the story which was awful. I could not disagree more. Perhaps Mr. Bennett's aspirations had been raised to too lofty a degree after working with Alfred Hitchcock. Whatever the reason, I definitely do not concur with his opinion. In fact, I may be so bold as to say that this has become one of my favourite movies. This is a film from 1949, and its name is Madness of the Heart. What's the matter? It's nothing. If you'd like me to index these, What happened these, to you just I'll... then? Come on, what happened? I don't know. It's the second time. What? Things just sort of go blurred. <laughs> Probably been overworking. Yes, you have. Hello? Oh, Paul! Staying another week. Well, that's fortunate. There's a young woman here who's going to need some entertaining. Um, hold on. You're starting a week's holidays from now. Oh, but Simon... Doctor's orders. Come on. So it begins very conventionally and very melodramatically. Margaret Lockwood plays Lydia, a secretary who falls in love with a dashing Frenchman, Paul, and enjoys a whirlwind romance. However, just as it seems Lydia is about to find her happy ever after, she is struck down by a malignant disease which renders her completely blind. She reacts to this by hiding herself away in a convent so that Paul can move on with his life, but he tracks her down and insists that, blind or not, he loves her deeply and he wants to marry her. So far, so melodramatic. You can really see the old familiar pegs fitting into all the old familiar slots. But that's when the whole film shifts. Paul and Lydia marry and travel to France, the Paul's family home, where they plan to carve out a life for themselves. It's here that the film takes a distinct turn for the sinister. It's rather uncanny, you see, because you as a viewer can instantly sense a threat from within Paul's household, but it takes a little while to fully reveal itself. Is it the passive-aggressive father who politely resents his son marrying a blind girl? Or is it the neighbor with the unsmiling eyes? Or is it the dark and handsome manservant? And just how will this simmering threat unfold, and why? And what do they have against this poor blind girl? I'm sorry. I know everybody's being so kind, but the feeling, I can't put my finger on it. Something or somebody's moving against me. Everybody here is enchanted with you, and I love you. Well, what follows is an absolute masterclass in suspense and tension, which I will not elaborate on in any way because this film is awesome and I loved it so much. Charles Bennett, what were you talking about? This is so like a Hitchcock film, some really creepy shots and some truly brilliant plotting. Margaret Lockwood is utterly fantastic in this film as this poor blind girl who's being gaslighted by an absolute villain. There is a sequence on a beach that had me crawling around my chair. Seriously, if you like your thrillers tense and fraught, I heartily recommend you seek out Madness of the Heart. Ridiculously good film. Well, before we return for the final act of Laura, let's just take a moment to see who the hell that Hollywood legend was, shall we? I believe we left it just about here. Have you a sister in show business? Yes. Now get Jaja the boar. 
Uh, oh, dear. Um, Want to flip a coin? <laughs> yes, I do. Now, um, one of them's in Europe now. That's obviously one we have here tonight. Well, are you the, the fairer of them, usually? I guess so. <laughs> are you Joan Fontaine? Yes! <laughs> yes, the answer was Joan Fontaine. Did you get it right? I'm sure you probably did. Another round of Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend next time. Right then, for the last time today, let's take a trip back to the Lux Radio Theatre for the thrilling conclusion to their adaptation of Laura. See you on the other side. Now here's Act 3 of Laura, starring Dana Andrews as Mark, Gene Tierney as Laura, Vincent Price as Shelby Carpenter, and Otto Kruger as Lydica. For three hours, Detective Lieutenant McPherson's been following Shelby Carpenter. Now in the black hours of night, he stops his car near a lonely house 18 miles from Norwalk and makes his way carefully toward the front door. It's not quite shut. He peers through the crack for a moment and then walks in. What? What are you doing with that shotgun, Carpenter? Well, I must admit this is somewhat embarrassing, Lieutenant. Let me see that gun been fired recently. Yes, I killed some rabbits with it. When? Oh, a while back. I don't know exactly. I gave the gun to Laura for protection. You haven't borrowed it lately. You didn't just bring it back. Well, you ought to know. You've been following me. You realize the spot you're in? You brought Diana Redfern to Laura's apartment. You knew all along it was she who was murdered. Didn't you know Laura would come back any day and spill the whole thing? Or did you plan to kill her, too? Oh, you're being fantastic, McPherson. You took a bottle of black Pony to her house Friday night. I took it there over a week ago. Bessie says Friday night. I can't help what Bessie says. Where's the key to Laura's apartment? I haven't got one. I never had one. Okay, you didn't bring the scots there Friday night and you never had a key. How did you get in? Well, I... Come on, talk. Talk? Oh, all right. You see, Laura kept an extra key in her office. I'd asked Diana to meet me in a restaurant. I, I wanted to have it out with her once and for all. You know, she thought... Well, she thought she was in love with me. She started to get hysterical. We had to leave. Well, I couldn't very well take her to her room in Newark, could I? Or to my hotel room. So we started to walk. It began to rain suddenly, and we got drenched. I thought of the key, and I stopped by the office to get it. We couldn't find a taxi, and so we walked back to Laura's apartment. Yeah? Diana went to Laura's bedroom. When she came out, she had on a dressing gown. Well, we talked, argued maybe, for a couple of hours, and... And then the doorbell rang. Why didn't you go to the door? Well, suppose one of Laura's friends had found me there. What would they think of finding Diana there? I told her to say that Laura had lent her the apartment. Anybody who knew Laura would have believed that. Don't stop. Well, I heard Diana open the door, and then there was an awful explosion. By the time I reached her, the door was shut again. Diana just lay there on the floor. Didn't you go out to see who did it? I was too confused, too horrified to do anything. The hallway was dark. I, I don't remember what I did. I knew I had to keep out of it and keep Laura out of it, too. The only thing on my mind was the safety of a person whose life was dearer to me than my own. Don't you understand that? Did you think Laura had killed her? Did you? I don't remember what I thought. Do you think so now? No. On Saturday, when Detective Crane went to see you, you seemed sincerely shocked. I was. I hadn't expected the police to mistake Diana's body for Laura's. But your alibi was already. The concert. 
He knew the minute Laura got back to town, it wouldn't stick. I couldn't think that far ahead. I was groping for some way to keep Laura's name out of it. I was heartbroken about Diana and panic-stricken about Laura. Okay. And tonight you met Laura in front of her office. What did you talk about? About what I've just told you. Well, what are you turning on the radio for? To see if it works. Why don't you tell her the truth? She sent you here to get rid of that gun. She doesn't even know I came here. It was my own idea. The radio works fine, doesn't it? Well, why wouldn't it? I hoped it wouldn't. All right. We're driving back to New York. Well, am I under arrest? I don't know. Just don't leave town. It would be a very foolish thing to do. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning. You know, I have a terrific yen to call you Laura. Why don't you forget that Lieutenant business and just call me Mark? Because Especially I... since I brought you all these groceries. Breakfast. You didn't buy any food when you went out last night. So you know. Yeah. I can fix bacon and eggs. Can you make coffee? Oh, I uh, spoke to Bessie. She'll be a little late. When I told her you were alive, she'd down there passed out. Yes, she phoned. You might have been a little more delicate about it. I suppose you set the table, but we'll have to wait a little while for the coffee. I've asked Paul Lidegger to stop by. Did you tell him about me that I'm alive? No. Why not? It's brutal. I'm not doing it for laughs. Why did you break your promise last night? Not to go out? Because I'll never be bound to do anything unless it's of my own free will. The Redfern girl was in love with Carpenter. You admitted that. I also told you he wasn't in love with her. Paul? I don't know. Just sit still in here. Hello, Lieutenant. Laura? Oh, good morning, darling. Hello, dear. Well, excuse me, Lieutenant. I'd like to kiss my fiancé good morning. Oh, so it's on again. Well, do I have to get a police permit? So now who? Come in, Lidecker. The door's unlatched. Lidecker, huh? Right on my heels. Well, McPherson, have you thought over the deal I suggested? What about the portrait and the... Why? What? Paul! Laura. I'll be all right in a moment. Laura, what? Not now, dear. Don't try to talk now. Come on, I'll take him into the bedroom. Just be quiet, Paul. Yes. Yes. How is he? He'll be all right. He's lying down. This is going just a little too far, McPherson. Your methods are vicious. Must have been a terrible shock to him, seeing me. Poor darling. Don't tell me you're in love with Lidecker, too. Stop talking that way to Miss Hunt. Laura, why do you cover up for a guy like Carpenter? What story did he tell you when you met him last night? Don't answer him, darling. Shut up. I've got enough on you, Carpenter, to arrest you right now. Quick, McPherson, the handcuffs. Trundle him off to the hooskow. Oh. I hope you'll forget my weak touch of angina, my dear. It's an old family custom. Uh, did I interrupt the pinch, McPherson? I've changed my mind for the moment. Well, in that case... Better order some food and liquor, Laura. People are coming to celebrate your return this afternoon. A cocktail party. Who asked them? I did. In the quiet of your boudoir just now. I called my man and he's calling all our dear friends. Why did you do that? Well, perhaps our friends can weave all the loose ends into a noose. Eh, McPherson? You shouldn't have gone to all that trouble, Mr. Lidecker. I'd already called them. Well, I'll run along now, Laura. Sorry about the breakfast. Some other time, maybe. Shelby, Shelby, come here. What's the matter, darling? Your party's a huge success. Shelby, tell me. I must know. Why did you go to the country last night? Laura. Well? You don't know? I was afraid you wouldn't think of hiding that shotgun. 
Which shotgun? The one I gave you. Oh, darling, you don't have to lie to me. Well, what's going on here? Oh, nothing at all, Ann. In case you don't know it, that McPherson man hasn't taken his eyes off you. I know. Maybe it would be better if I, well, mingled with our guests. Laura, McPherson suspects him, Shelby. He suspects me, too. Oh, don't be absurd. You could never have done a thing like that. Darling. Yes. Are you as interested in Lieutenant McPherson as he is in you? Anne, I only met him last night. Sometimes that's more than long enough. Anyway, he's better for you than Shelby. Anybody is. Shelby's better for me. Why? Because I can afford him. He's no good, but he's what I... Wait a minute. He's coming. Mark. Oh, Mark, is it? I'm sorry to break up your party, Laura. But you haven't. You've been a model guest so far. I'm not joking. Get on your things. I'm taking you to headquarters. I thought I was going to get a cell and a denim dress. Is this your office? Before they trot out that denim dress, I want to know what you why you've been holding out on me. Have I been? You told me the radio at your country place was broken. It was. Not last night. I stopped in the village on my way back. I asked the local handyman to fix it. And how did he get in? With a key. The key I always leave under the flower pot on the porch. All right, I'll accept that. Why? Because you're too intelligent to make up a story I could check so easily. The main thing I want to know is why you pulled that switch about Shelby Carpenter. You told me last night you decided not to marry him. But today it was on again. Why? I changed my mind. What went on between you and Carpenter when you met him last night? Or should I guess? He convinced you that if you broke your engagement now, people would think you believed that he killed Diana Redfern. Yes, but now I know the real reason why he wanted to stay engaged. He thinks I did it. So do you. Are you in love with him? No, I don't know how I ever could have been. Come on, Laura. You're going home. But I thought I was under... That's what I wanted you to think. You and a few other people. I didn't even book you. And all this was just some sort of a game. I was 99% certain about you, but I just had to make sure of that 1% doubt. Wasn't there an easier way to make sure? You're, you're smiling. You're not sore? No, Mark. I'm not sore. Go back to your party, if there's anything left of it. And you? I'm going to Lydecker's apartment. I'll drop by later on. long time since we've been together. Well, darling, what's the matter? Nothing, Paul. You're worried. Yes, McPherson. He's using you for something. I don't think so. I don't deny he's infatuated with you in some warped fashion, but he's incapable of any Norman human relationship. He's been dealing too long with criminals. When you were attainable, unattainable, and he thought you were dead, that's when he wanted you most, fell in love with your portrait. He was glad when I came back, as if he were waiting for me. You know what he calls women? Dames. A dame in Washington Heights once got a fox for a coat out of it. That's his very word. That doesn't mean anything, Paul. He isn't like that. Laura, my dear, you have one glaring weakness. With you, a lean, strong body is always the measure of a man. And you always get hurt. No man is ever going to hurt me again. No, not even you. I? Hurt you? What? Laura, look at me. You were a long time finding out about Shelby. But that's all over now. We'll be together again. Wait, the door just opened. Don't get up, it's only me. Oh, haven't you heard of science's latest triumph, the doorbell? I'm glad you're here, Lidecker. I've just been to your apartment. Uh, do you mind if I should search your pockets? I found a shotgun. Oh. But I wasted my time. It wasn't the gun that killed Diana Redfern. First he tells you he thinks you're innocent, and then he proceeds to check up on you. I never said you're innocent. Me? I'm talking about Lorda. My dear, this entire maneuver could be a trick to throw you off guard. It could be, but it isn't. 
I know. I believe you, Mark. See, I'm beginning to get annoyed. Laura, it's the same obvious pattern. If McPherson weren't full of muscles and good looks, uh, in a cheap sort of way, you'd see through him in a second. Paul, I mean to be as kind about this as I know how. But you're the one following the same obvious pattern. First with that painter you thought was in love with me. Then with Shelby. And now I suppose... Laura, what are you saying? That I don't think we should see each other again. But, darling, you're not yourself. Yes, I am. For the first time in ages, I know what I'm doing. Very well. I hope you'll never regret what promises to be a disgustingly earthy relationship. Oh, uh, listen to my broadcast in ten minutes. I'm discussing the other great loves of history. That was the most difficult thing I've had to do in my whole life. Yeah. Here I still haven't found it. I haven't found it. What? The gun that killed Diana Redfern. What are you doing? Taking a look at your clock. He's got one just like it, hasn't he? Yes, but... I wasn't alone just now in Lydecker's apartment. A guy named Sergeant Crane came with me. Crane's old man is a clockmaker. And while I wore myself out looking for a shotgun, all the sergeant did was drool about Lydecker's clock. He said, probably, there's not another one like it in the world. Obviously, he was wrong. Yeah, and he showed me something about that clock. A little feature with all clocks made by Corbe Peace. Underneath, here, near the floor, is a little spring. You push the spring, and the whole bottom compartment opens up. See? Like this. But I never knew. In the old days... I guess people use the compartment for a kind of safe. Today, they use it for hiding other things. Shotguns, for instance. Yep, this is it, Laura. I'm sure of it. And it was put here by the only man who knew about this clock, Paul Lidecker. Oh, no. When the Redfern girl opened the door, this hallway was dark. Lidecker saw a girl and assumed it was you. And he fired. He figured if he couldn't have you for himself, he was going to make sure no one else did. He heard Carpenter, so he hid behind this stairway outside in the corridor. Carpenter was scared to death. He got out as fast as he could. Then Lydecker slipped back in and tucked the gun away in the grandfather clock. Oh, I felt it ever since I came back. I'm the one to blame. Not for anything I did, but for what I didn't do. I should have stopped seeing Paul long ago. But I couldn't. I owed too much to him. I can understand all that. But I can't understand why you tried so hard to protect Carpenter. I was frantic you'd arrest him. I knew he wasn't guilty. But I knew Paul would do everything he could to incriminate him. It was his way of getting rid of Shelby, just as he got rid of every other man who might have meant something to me. For a charming, intelligent girl, you've certainly surrounded yourself with a remarkable collection of dopes. Now, look, don't touch anything. I'm leaving the gun and the clock. I'll have it picked up in the morning. You're going? Yeah, I'm picking up Lydecker. Mom. I've got to. You know that. Try and get some sleep, will you? Sleep? Well, maybe I can. I'll read a book, listen to the radio... Will you call me later? Sure. Try and forget all this. It's just a bad dream. Good night, Laura. Good night, Mark. Good night. And be careful, please. And now, ladies and gentlemen, with his final word for this evening, Mr. Paul Lidecker. As history has proved, love is eternal. The strongest motivation for man's actions throughout centuries. Love is stronger than life. It reaches beyond the dark shadows of death. May I remind you of some favorite lines of mine from Dowson's poem? They are not long, the weeping and the laughter, love and desire and hate. I think they have no portion in us after we pass the gate. They are not long, Days of wine and roses. Out of a misty dream, 
Our path emerges for a while, then closes within a dream. That's the way it you is, isn't it, Laura? You heard the voice of Paul Heidegger by electrical transcription. This is the... There is a final irony to all of this, Laura. You know how I despise melodrama, and yet here I am, a gun in my hand, about to kill you. Oh, you've taken one life, isn't that enough? The best part of myself, that's what you are, Laura. Do you think I'm going to leave you to the vulgar poings of a second-rate policeman who thinks you're a dame? He'll find you, Paul. You know he will. He will leave. Don't you overestimate the man who thought I left a few moments ago. And all I did was wait in the hall, Laura. And then I let myself in again with a key I've always had. I'm not going to lose you, Laura. Open the door. Don't move, Laura. He'll find us together, darling. As always we should have been. As always we will be. Turn your face, darling. Please, turn your face. I can't... Sorry, Miss Hunter, I had to do it. I better let the boss in before he busts down your door. Laura, Laura. It's all right, Mark. Get him through the window, Lieutenant, from the fire escape. I'll call headquarters. Fine detective. A fine detective I am. Laura. Goodbye. Goodbye, my love. It's all right, darling. It's all right. The bad dream is over. Our stars will be back for their curtain calls in a moment. Thank you. That was Laura, starring Dana Andrews, Jean Tierney. Vincent Price and Otto Kruger, who did a pretty good Clifton Webb impression now, I think. Shame old Clifton couldn't make it, though. Anyway, great stuff. What a story. Well, before I leave you, just time to announce the winner of the Val Luton competition. If you remember, I asked you to name the film from the image on the website, and I have to say, hardly any of you got it right. I think perhaps the cat connection may have misled you slightly. Most people guessed cat people. It was, in fact, the leopard man. So still a cat. Just just another one, I'm afraid. Well, from the rather small pool of correct answers, I pluck a name. And the winner is... La La Land. Oh, no. Sorry. I'm sorry, guys. But the winner is not La La Land. The winner is, in fact, Mr. Mark Chislovsky. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Mr. Mark Chislovsky? Yes, sir, you win a DVD copy of the Martin Scorsese documentary, The Man in the Shadows. Email me with your address and I will get that out to you immediately. Well, it simply remains for me to say a very fond farewell to you all. Thank you for joining me. If you would like more Attaboy Clarence, you can sign up to be a patron of the show and get bonus episodes and emails. And in the next week, the first movie commentary will be heading out there. If you're interested in becoming a patron, just keep listening and you'll find out how. Until I speak to you again then, take very good care of yourselves. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month. And in return, you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.